Hello, cruel world. This is Ace Von Johnson from Faster Pussycat and LA Guns. Just letting you know you're listening to the Gary Brugman podcast. Rock and roll. Yo, 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 it's your man, Big Daddy Roughneck. You're tuned in to the Gary Brugman podcast. Prepare to be entertained. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 101 of the Gary Brugman Podcast. Yes, 101 episodes so far. Man, tonight I got a good friend of mine. It's Lieutenant Randy Sutton. Whether you hear about this guy, he's got a good uh, foundation that you need to hear about. So hold on to something tight because we'll be bouncing off all kinds of guardrails today. So let's get to it. What's up, Randy? How are you tonight, brother? Oh, rock and rolling, man. Rock and rolling. A little sad about what's been happening here in, in Texas today. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, Randy, I uh, I dedicate every episode of this podcast to somebody. And I had a, somebody I was going to dedicate it to, but tonight uh, I'm going to go ahead and dedicate it to the children of uh, Rob Elementary in the city of Uvalde, Texas, for all the kids and uh, and that teacher that lost their lives. And, yeah, dude, it's, it's horrible. I, I, that's only 75 miles from where I'm at. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm in San Antonio. <clears throat> yeah, this is uh, uh, this is madness. Once again, we have this horrendous tragedy uh, where uh, where a madman who's only 18 years old, just like this this punk up in uh, up in New, up in New York, York, New York, only 18 years old, um, goes on a rampage and kills innocents. And here we have, I mean, the most despicable thing. A human being could do would be to take the lives of children of, of children and you know i mean what i don't understand is all right he he had an incident at the house where i, I believe he shot somebody then they chased him and um he ran into the school but what was the purpose i mean the kids had no, it wasn't like i don't think it was premeditated it seemed like it was it seemed like he was trying to escape and he just lost his mind randy well this is what we're gonna have to find out i mean the investigation is, you know, in the infancy. Um, and, uh, you know, there's so many questions here. But he killed his grandmother before this happened. Okay. So what was this guy's history? What was his, what was his uh, psychological history? Right. What was his criminal history? What was it that set him off today to do this incredibly tragic, um, just, just this, this horrendous crime? And I, so, you know, we all want to get to the bottom of it as soon as possible. But until there is a full investigation, we just don't know. And it's all conjecture. And, and that's the hard part that these parents are going to have to go through. They're going to have to sit and wait until it's over and to find out what this guy's mental state was, like you said, what he was going through. And, you know, in the meantime, they're just in limbo. They're just in limbo without having any information. And it's, it's, it's just a disgusting deed that some that some kid did and you know it's it kills me because they, these kids were just in school two days out from the end of school year getting yeah. ready to enjoy the freaking summer you know what i mean randy i know and i'll tell you that and, and then all i'm seeing now on the news as i'm trying to glean whatever i can from this right. is watching the posturing of the political realm um and, and they're screaming for reform, even though we don't even know 
what the situation is to even address it. But once again, we have we have we have politicians who are trying to um, you know create their own legacy from right. the tragedies. And and I just the the the, the lack of common sense that uh, that accompanies a tragic set of circumstances like this, and then watching uh, politicians try and play this for their own political purposes. Right. That, that to me is just foul. And it is, it is. And, and what was it that, uh, that, that president said, never let a good crisis go to waste. You know, it's just, yeah. it, it's, it's how they think. And, you know, I don't understand how the left thinks. I don't understand uh, why they do the things they do. I, I don't think I ever will. I used to think that everybody had a right to their own opinion and, you know, two parties and, you know, we, we don't agree on the same things, but, you know, I've just come to realize lately that the left is actually turning evil. It's like we re- a buddy of mine said it yesterday, we remained in the middle and they just took the left and moved it so far over, you know? Yeah. But Randy, back in January, we were at the uh, Great American Summit. We had a lot of great speakers there. Tony Verano, uh, it was hosted by Anthony Michael Russo, who I just saw a couple of weeks ago here in San Antonio. Jason Redman uh, and my brother Ryan Weaver. And at that event, I saw you. And uh, you you had a you had a, a Wonder Blue T-shirt and uh, and some sneakers. And I'm like looking at you, and I I was like, who is this guy? I know this guy. Who is this guy? And I couldn't. It, it was killing me. And then I heard you talk, and I was like, that damn voice. I know who that is. Who is this guy? And it wasn't until you hit the stage, it wasn't until you hit the stage and you started speaking that I realized that's where I know this guy from. So if you uh go ahead and. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you came from, and and everybody's going to realize where they know you from. Well, well, some may know where they know me from, but uh, so I, I was a cop for thirty four years. Right, I did ten years as a cop in New Jersey, twenty four with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, and um, many people know me from the TV show Cops. And that's it, right one, there. I was one of the most featured officers on that show um, in my younger days. Uh, I was on uh, in the seasons of 1989, which is freaking ancient history now, 89, 94, 96, and then uh, was in a, uh, some movies like Casino, Fool's Rush In, Miss Congeniality, and some TV shows. And also, uh, I do a lot of news commentating for uh, Fox, Newsmax, CBS, HLN. So I've, I've, I've been on media a lot. That's probably where people know me from. Roger that. And when you said that, I was like, that's when I realized, man, this guy's been in my life since, because I've, I've watched cops since it first started. This guy's been in my life since 1989. For almost 30 years, you've been in my life and I never knew it, you know? So so, that's a little weird. Okay. I know. I know it is. It is. But thank you for being part of my life because I've watched you and uh, I, I can't deny that watching you and of course the show was part of what got me into my law enforcement career so thank you for all you did for the people of las las vegas and and everybody out there appreciate that but uh brother i I appreciate you saying that and you know it's amazing the um the reach that that show has i'm going to tell you that i have had no less than 20 25 police officers in las vegas metro pd uh, who approached me and said, Randy, the reason I joined Metro was because I saw you on Cops. Right. 
So the, so the reach of that show is amazing. And then I've heard, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say several hundred uh, police officers from around the nation reached out to me and said that they got interested in a police career from, from seeing me on cops. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very powerful medium television and also that that show i watched it i watched it for uh, <clears throat> since it started and uh, i've known through the past 30 years i've got to know a lot of cops that were on that show as well i'm in texas so i got to know a lot of fort worth cops and a lot of cops down in my uh miami uh the, i forgot the guy's name but he was on the marine patrol and he was always beat uh broward sheriff's office down with us when i was in the coast guard down in miami but uh so you were a cop in Las Vegas Metro, and you you retired. Yeah, I retired uh, not because I wanted to, but because I had to. I had a stroke in my police car after 24 years, and it was uh, it was devastating to me. It, it literally uh, took everything away from me. It took my career, took my health. Um, my mother died in my arms three weeks before that. I was in a fatal shooting a couple of months before. So there was a lot going on, but it was a life-changing experience for me. And um, and then something happened that I never would have expected. And that was my own police department uh, turned its back on me and said, we're not paying your medical bills. And that experience was devastating, but it led me uh, to the current path that I'm on. Right which I have to tell you is probably one of the most important things, actually the most important thing I've done in my police career. And that was to found the organization called the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Officers. This is probably the most important thing I've ever done in my career because men and women throughout the United States who are serving behind the badge have served Many of these men and women, once they become physically uh, injured, psychologically injured, literally face a life of, um, you know, where they're where they lose their careers, right? And their and their own departments turn their backs on them. So this is what I'm doing now today. And and I was just uh, researching the Wounded Blue. There's there's a there's a movie out. Is there? There's there's a there's a trailer out. Where, where, yeah, can we, we where can have, everybody we have, watch that? We have a documentary film called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. It's on Amazon.com. I urge everybody to watch this movie because it will blow your minds. Everybody thinks, and this is actually part of, part of one of the issues that we have with raising money, and that is that I tell someone that a cop who gets shot in the line of duty can sometimes be thrown away not receive the proper medical treatment, not receive a, a pension. And they look at me like, well, what are you talking about? That's impossible. But it's not impossible. It's happening right. across America. It does. And so this is one of the things we fight all the time is trying to bring reality to the equation. Right. And and the, the Wounded Blue and anybody across the country can uh, can help you out with that and participate in part of the Wounded Blue. Absolutely. In fact, we... You know, it's funny because um, on social media, I for years I've had people contact me and say, Randy, we support our police. How do we show it? Right. Well, I didn't really have an answer until I, I created the Wounded Blue. But now 
you can show your support for law enforcement by donating five bucks, 10 bucks, 25 bucks, whatever it is you can afford because the wounded blue has these programs that are, that are literally saving lives of injured and disabled officers across the nation. There's no better way. Be a hero to these heroes. Go to the woundedblue.org and, and, and donate a few bucks. That way you can be a hero to these heroes. So does a police officer have to be off the job in order to benefit from your organization or can they still be like active duty? Like I'm, I'm, act, I'm asking for like these cops that are responding to these child deaths here in Uvalde, Texas, and they're going to be suffering from this PTSD, you know? Um, oh, no, no, no. You, you, you absolutely. I mean, most of the people that we work with are active duty. I roger that. Um, I actually have a team in Texas right now who are responding to um, the suicide of a police officer and we were working with that department to provide some counseling. So, um, I mean, we are, we exist to help law enforcement officers, right. either, either present duty or, or uh, retired because the, the traumas that these men and women are going through both, you know, on the street and also from their own administrations is taking a massive toll on the police. You know, Randy, I wish, uh, I wish you guys had been around twenty something years ago when I was going through my deal, man. I, uh, I, uh, I didn't. I was falling apart, you know, because back then it was the early days of the internet. You know, the, um, there there wasn't a lot of veteran organizations around. I responded. One of the big things I did, I responded to a uh, flight TWA eight hundred off of the off of Long Island, New York, back in the uh, mid nineties, mm -hmm. and uh, we we barely got any counseling for that. And when I ended up. Uh, when I ended up facing the federal government and ended up, you know, with my career ending, I didn't know what was happening because I grew up in the cities of New York, Randy, and I was trying, I did all my best to stay on the right path. I didn't do everything right, but I stayed my best. I tried my best to stay on the right path, join the service. I said, you know what? I'll give up four years. I'm going to join the Coast Guard. I way I get a law enforcement career going on here. And I ended up staying nine. And when, when I got out, went straight into the Border Patrol the very next day. And, um, and back in 2001, you, as you know, I told you before, I pushed an illegal alien on the ground, apparently violated his civil rights. Next thing I know, I'm facing prison time, and I'm trying to figure out how this is happening to me. And, and, and I'm not going to deny you that uh, I, I, I thought about doing some things a couple of times, and it's just uh, I was falling apart, and I wish there was been an organization like yours to, to help me out, you know, because... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know... The um, police officers across the nation, small towns, big cities, are facing challenges like never before. Right. Because not only are they under attack by groups, you know, uh, like Black Lives Matter and 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 Antifa mm -hmm. and other literally, I mean, organized groups that are trying to destroy policing as we know it. Right. But they're also facing their own administrations. And I, I can't tell you how many times I hear this phrase, hey, Randy, I'm not afraid of going out on the street. I'm not afraid of the bad guys. I'm afraid of my own chief and the administration. Exactly. And that's heartbreaking to me, heartbreaking. Exactly. And, and when you went through your stuff, so you had, you had a stroke in a police vehicle and they wouldn't help you at all. <laughs> They just said, we're not paying your bills. 
Wow. I said, well, what do you mean? You have to pay my bills. It's in the statute. Exactly. And they said, yeah, we'll take us to court. And that's what I had to do. It took me over a year. They ruined my credit. They ruined my, uh, I had bill collectors knocking on my door. And uh, they, they spent tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayers' money to fight me. Wow. Knowing that they had to pay. But you see, here's what it is. And I, I didn't know this at the time because this is a common, this is a common occurrence in the workers' comp system. They know they have to pay, but they, they refuse. And they force you to go to court and fight them every, every step. Sometimes it takes years, years to get a hearing. And, they, and they're hoping that you're either going to die or you're going to give up. And many people, unfortunately, actually do both. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? You just, you just sparked something in my head because one of the things that um, – one of, one of the prosecutors in my case, we happened to end up in the bathroom at the same time, and he's, he started some small talk, and I asked him straight up, I was like, do you really think I'm guilty of this? And he told me, it doesn't matter what I think. I have a $50 million budget to make sure you go to jail. And you're going, it's just a matter of how long. And what you said right there, Randy, is, is a fact, and Bernard Carrick said, said something like this in his book too. Who has the money to fight the government, whether it's a state government, e even a small you know, local sheriff's department or a small municipal police department, they, yeah. I guarantee you they have more uh, deeper pockets than I do, you know, and they, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And a lot of and, officers and, don't realize that. And a lot of what? A lot of officers don't realize that. Well, they, no, because no one expects that you're going to be turned on by, by your own the, the same people that you literally put your life in the line for. Exactly. Exactly. And yet it happens all the time. <clears throat> And um, so so you you started this in order to help again officers suffering from PTSD or just officers that just can't pay their bills. What exactly is it that y'all do? I mean, I know you provide counseling and stuff like that, but what what's the extent of it? Because I really want to get this out there for officers to hear. Because I got a lot of cops that listen to this show. Well, our mission statement is really simple: to improve the lives of injured and disabled officers through support, education assistance and legislation outstanding see this this problem is much bigger than just a singular issue you know um, um, the officers themselves who are being victimized often by um, a corrupt system uh, of workers compensation which right. is which is just I mean depending on where you are um, will de will depend on how you're treated for instance if you're a New York City cop, and you get shot, or stabbed, you get hit by a car. There's a strong union there, so at least you know you're going to get decent medical. At least you know that you're going to get a pension if you can't work anymore. That was that's not the situation in in a lot of different places. That's what I was going to ask you if you if it's, uh, if Las Vegas Metro had a union. Yeah, it does have a union, uh, but it is a right to work state. Right. Um, it's not anything like it is back east. Where where the strong unions the really make a difference, yeah, really make a difference. So, um, so our organization, the, the most important thing that we do is peer support, uh, because uh, our motto is never forgotten, never alone. Because when I was creating this organization, I listen, I had no intention 
of creating a charitable organization and devoting my life to it when I retired. Right. I retired because, you know, I was, I became physically disabled and I was going to, you know, live my life in, um, you know, writing and speaking and things like that. And then cops from around the country started reaching out to me just because of my visibility in the law enforcement community telling me, Randy, I know you don't know me, but I was, I was hit by a car. I was shot. I was stabbed, whatever it was. And my own department has turned its back on me. I don't know what to do. And because of all of these heartbreaking calls and messages, every one of them ended the same way. I feel forgotten. I feel alone. I don't know what to do. And that's why our motto is never forgotten and never alone. Because my entire team that works with me, uh, we call this team Peer Advocate Support Team. Because they have all been shot. They've all been stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, screwed over. And they want to continue to serve. And they do so honorably. They do so giving of themselves so that the men and women who are facing similar circumstances know they are not alone and know that there's someone they can talk to. And we've helped more than 10,000 police officers just the last few years. That's That's awesome. That is like completely amazing. It's the Wounded Blue. Um, throw me the website real quick, Randy, so I can put it up. I'll put it up right here so that people can see it. Thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. And, uh, you know, they can go to it. They can see who we are, what we do. If you're a police officer and you're suffering in silence because you feel like there's nobody to talk to, that's why we exist. That's why we're here. And we've saved a lot of lives because you and I both know that the suicide rate for law enforcement is absolutely through the roof. And I've struggled with being a statistic myself, brother. And you and many others. And uh, if we don't, if we don't work together and we don't have a resource that we can turn to, there's going to be a whole lot more deaths. And every one of these officers that is serving today or served yesterday is deserving of the respect and deserving of everything that we can do to help them make it through the crisis that they're going through. You know, um, this job that we do, whether in whatever capacity it is that you do it, whether you're you're, uh, a city cop, sheriff's deputy, state trooper, federal agent, they... They, they put you through these academies and they teach you all kinds of things, but they don't prepare you for the things that happen, for, for, for what happens, you know, post a situation. The challenges that come up on you, um, a lot of people just aren't ready for. You know, I mean, I, well, I, you know what? But here's the thing, Gary. I'm not sure that anyone, that there is any system that can prepare a person to become a cop. Oh, I yeah. Don't think, I don't think it exists. It, no way. When you when you do be, when you become a cop, you enter into years of service where you're going to see a humanity at its worst. Exactly. And so I don't know. If there's a way to prepare people for that. You know, we 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 would like to think that there is, but I'm. I, I mean, I've racked my brain for years. I was a police trainer for many many years. I was I was in charge of advanced training for the ninth largest police department in the country. 
Las Vegas Metropolitan Police. And and I I could not figure a way to coherently prepare officers in a way that that they would not be you know um, severely affected by the trauma that they see. I wish there was a, I, if there's a way I'd like to know what the hell it is. Yeah, for but sure. I haven't seen I haven't seen a way to do it yet. So so we we we. You know, we work at, at the best way that we can to prepare our officers as best we can. And, and and that's the point that I was trying to make was they they don't prepare you. They teach you all this basic stuff to get, you know, in situations. But once something happens, they, they don't stand by you. And that that's where your organization comes in. And, and the reason I say that was because when I was going through my situation, and mind you, my situation is a completely different situation as opposed to something happened on the street. But I was being prosecuted, and I had no idea what to do. And like you, my, we had a union. My union was like, well, good luck. If you win your case, we'll give you 75% of your attorney's fees back. So I said, <laughs> I need attorney's fees. What are you talking about, you know? But, uh, and, and that's what I'm saying. They, your organization can help somebody in the, when they don't know what to do. Right, and that's why, that is why we exist. Exactly. Um, never forgotten, never alone. We do the best that we can, and unfortunately, I wish I wish we had the resources that we need. You know the the the, uh, but you know raising money for a police charity is really really difficult. It is. Um, I can't tell you the number of corporations that said, "Randy, hey man, we really love what you're doing, but we can't put our name on that." Really, you know, they'll give they'll give you know two million dollars to Black Lives Matter, right? But uh, to a police charity, you can't put our name on that. Yeah, no shit. I, I mean, so so you know, it's this is uh, the reality in which we in which we live. So we just keep on doing the best we can. We're fighting the best we can, and we'll continue that fight. So, one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, when when you were a police officer. Were, did you see this going on, you know, in your subordinates or, you know, in, in your department with other guys before it happened to you? Had this idea ever clicked on you before to start something like this or to reach out to something like this? No, I had never, ever thought about doing this. Now, listen, you know, I was a cop for 34 years. I was 10 years in New Jersey, 24 with Las Vegas Metro. So believe me, I saw plenty of, uh, of uh, injustice within right. the administrations of both organizations. You know, I, you know, power, unfortunately, even, even the minimal amount of power that is given to, to a police administrator um, sometimes affects people negatively. Right. They don't know how to handle that power. And I believe me, I've seen, you know, I've, I've worked with amazing police leaders who, who, um, do the job right, who mentor others, who create an environment of, of uh, you know, a positive work environment where people want to come to work, exactly. want to do the job, um, believe that their leadership is behind them. And then I've seen just the opposite. I've seen police leaders and supervisors that only care about their own um, ladder climbing through the, you know, through the, 
you know, the hierarchy of the department right. or um, once they be, come enmeshed in leadership positions, change and and somehow forget where they came from. Right. So, you know, it's, um, um, I've seen, I've seen the best, I've seen the worst. And, you know, when you, when you are a police officer and you are yourself going through the the steps of your career, learning from the best and learning from the worst are the most valuable lessons that you can, that you can get when you're, when you yourself are, um, are uh, going through your police career take the best of of the leadership that you see absorb that and discard the worst of the leadership the selfishness exactly the the uh um you know the the heavy-handedness that's what you tell my it's the only way to tell it's the only way to, to learn and grow that's what you tell a lot of my trainees i say you're going to see a lot of different person personalities and attitudes here in the patrol you know uh take what you can from the best and then when you see when you see the ones that you don't like or you know they're doing it wrong, take that too and realize what not to be, you know? Yeah, try, that's, try exactly, that's, that's exactly right. I, I got to tell you, the best leadership lessons I ever learned were from the worst leaders that I, exactly. that I was involved with. And But yet, you know, here's the thing. Let me, let me, give, you a, let me give you an example of life-changing leadership moment for me. Uh, this is when I was still a cop in New Jersey, and I worked for this small-town department. And the I got to tell you, the politics in a small department is worse than the politics in a big department. Because in a big department, you can actually go hide right. somewhere. Right, in a right. small department, you, you know, everybody knows everybody's business. Y'all grew up together, you know, so it, it's a whole different dynamic. So I, uh, when I was a, a young cop, I had the, the great good fortune to work for a cop a sergeant who I knew from before he made rank, but he was a natural leader. He, he didn't have a college degree. He didn't, you know, go to the national Academy, at least at that point, but he was somebody that you wanted to follow because he knew that he was someone who had the courage to do the job, who cared about the people that worked for him. And, and, and I was a young, I got, I got on the job really young. I was 19. Wow. And I look back on the decisions that I made when I was a 19 year old cop and I, and I got a shutter. I shake my head and I go, Oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> I did. I did what? How did I survive that? Everything, everything was very black and white to me, Gary. I mean, right. it was right and wrong. I arrested everybody. Everybody went to jail. Everybody got a ticket. There was no gray. It was just, here it is. Right and wrong. Right and wrong. I'm 20 years old, you know, after I get out of the New Jersey State Police Academy. And and I'm just, I mean, I'm writing nuns tickets. I'm, you name it. I was doing all that. Because I believed that it was very black and white. But I worked my ass off, right? So I I, I go to work for a, this, this sergeant who I had a tremendous amount of respect for. And, and I, and I worked my butt off, you know, and one day, uh, we're getting off graveyard shift and, and he says, let's go to breakfast. I said, okay. And we go to this little diner in New Jersey and, 
you know, uh, I'm, I'm telling him, you know, Hey, oh yeah, that's what I did last night. I did this, I did that. And he's nodding and shaking his head. Yeah. 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 And then he says to me, he says, you know, Randy, I got to tell you, man, you're really a good cop. I went, yeah. He says, yeah, you are. He says, you work your ass off. You have a great uh, understanding of the, of the laws of search and seizure. You, uh, you know, you are, you're out there working all the time. You're, you are a good cop. He says, but let me ask you a question. Do you know the difference between being a good cop and being a great cop? And I got to tell you, Gary, that, that question took me by surprise. I no said, I said, no, I, I don't. He says, and he got this smile on his face. I remember it. And he said, he looked at me, he says, it's one word. It's called compassion. And it was a pivotal moment in my life and a pivotal moment in my police career. Because it was like he turned a light on. And he didn't lecture me. He didn't, he didn't beat me about the head with it. He led me to understand that compassion was one of the most important components of being a cop. And I never did policing the same way for the rest of my life. And it changed me as a cop, changed me as a police leader as I wound up, you know, being a police leader. And that that's that's outstanding, Randy, because that is true. <clears throat> I I didn't have anybody tell me those words, but they told me you need to uh, emphasize with, empathize with people and understand what they're going through. You don't have to actually feel sorry for them. But you need to understand what people are going through, and especially the field I was in. You know, with dealing with people coming across the country that from another country that had nothing. You know, I st- and right, right. You know, Randy, during my trial, uh, U.S. Attorney had asked me if, uh, oh, so you're saying you never break the rules? I said, yeah, I've broken the rules. I said when I picked up a a couple of uh, aliens that were walking on the street and they were dying of thirst. I went in the store and bought them water with my own money, which I'm not supposed to do. And I left them in the vehicle by themselves. That was wrong. There was another guy. He, I still remember he was, uh, he was, I believe he was from El Sal. And this dude, they had, he had been robbed in Mexico. And he came across and all he had was jeans, uh, uh, a T-shirt, and he had a woman's coat. And it was cold out here in Texas at that time. He had his woman's coat with short sleeves. The sleeves reached him up to his uh, forearms. I felt so bad for this guy that when we let him walk, I, I knew he was heading to the bus stop. I actually gave him some money so that he can get some food and make it to where he was going. That was against the rules, you know. But it's not, it's not all about just, you know, being hard-charging. You're right. And that's, that, that's freaking awesome, Randy. <clears throat> so I got a lot of young cops that listen to this show. Uh, I got this... Uh, a uh, young lady up in uh, NoCal, and uh, she she follows this podcast religiously. I got a lot of cops in California, and um, any good any good words that you want to give them here w- before we close out? Any good words that you want to let them know just about life? And uh, again, bring out your organization again, just so that they can have it. Yeah, I got, I got a couple of things to say. First of all, you you don't need to be alone in uh, dealing with the traumas that that every single police officer will deal with uh, throughout their career. Um, You know, we try to be as macho as humanly possible. You know, the the days of, hey, suck it up, buttercup, are still with us in many places. Embrace the suck. Um, And yet, 
And, and you don't have to do this alone. There are people that, that, that love you, that care for you. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to them. And if you don't have a strong support system, come to an organization like mine, because my entire team of cops, they literally continue to serve despite their injuries, despite their disabilities, despite their traumas, because they care about the other people who are, who are dealing with the right. same issues that they are. So you don't have to be alone. The Wounded Blue exists for you. Go to thewoundedblue.org, reach out to us, um, go to our Facebook page. If you have an issue and you want to talk, call me personally or get a hold of me, Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Um, I mean, that's, we're, we're very, very accessible. I also have a new book coming out in two months called Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. And because I don't sit on the sidelines, Gary, I, I, I do everything I can to bring to the public's attention what men and women that are serving or have served are going through. And Rescuing 911 goes into how we as uh, Americans, how we as a, 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 a national community can work together to push back on this um, false narrative uh, depicting law enforcement officers as the bad guys. Because no matter what you say, there is no more noble career than putting on that badge and going out there on the street and, and working your ass off for the public that you serve. That's the most noble job that there is. Don't ever let anybody tell you differently. Don't ever let the media dictate to you what uh, your thoughts and your processes are internally. Because uh, doing the job the way we are meant to do it is being a warrior. And a warrior doesn't mean that you're at war all the time. A warrior yeah. means that you can protect yourself, which is the most important thing that a cop can do, protect themselves physically, emotionally, psychologically, and go home to your family, do your 20, 25 years, and know that you probably touch more lives than you'll ever, ever know. I, I agree with that, Randy. There's a, there's a uh, what was that little saying? Uh, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war, you know? And um, I, I agree with that. One. Oh, wait, hold on a second. What? Say it again. <laughs> you were talking about being a warrior. It, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Okay, well, that's not something I've ever heard of before, but it I makes, guess that makes sense yeah. in some weird way. But okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's... it's, it's when uh, I was going through some difficult times in my life, and like I said, I, I'm part of uh, quite a few police organizations and man, all my all my cops, they all told me, they said, dude, when you come back, we're going to be here. We're still going to be patrolling the street. We're still going to be here for you. And me, having been in the Coast Guard and, 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 and also on the Border Patrol, I was the rescuer. You know, I was the guy that went out and helped people. Yeah. But sometimes yeah. you need to be helped. And I've come to realize yeah. that a lot, especially in the past few years, I've needed to be helped a lot. And, um, and it's, it's, there's no shame in... Having somebody extend their hands towards you and you grab it, 
because I've had to Absolutely do that quite correct. a bit, man. Absolutely right. Yeah. A lot of the things that I've been through, Randy, have taught me a lot about the system, uh, a lot about the politics mm. of the system. And, mm-hmm. But it's also, it's also humbled me down quite a bit. It's, hum, it's hum, because I've, I've seen, you know, f- from, where, from where I strive to get to, from where I worked so hard to get to, to be crushed down and just having to rebuild myself. I've seen what it's like. And like I said, organizations like yours and people that think like you do, I got a lot of friends that are really good cops and they've actually pulled me through is what, is what this is about. And, and like you said, I grew up in New York City. And back then, I'm, I'm going to be 56 years old. So I grew up in New York City during the 70s and 80s. And it was a whole different breed of NYPD back then, brother. <laughs> you know, it was a Absolutely. whole different breed of NYPD. And um, we, we had our beat cops and those beat cops were also like our, our, uh, our mentors, you know, mm-hmm. they, 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 pro- they protected us and we were street kids. They protected us. And when the time came down to it, it and if it need be, shit, we protect them, you know, because they were our cops. They were our beat cops in the projects, you know. Sure, so, sure. But man, Randy, I want to thank you so much for coming on, brother. I know this was kind of short notice from yesterday. And... Um, I appreciate it, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. People, It's it, go to the woundedblue.org. That's the woundedblue.org. And I'll keep you all posted when Randy's book, Rescue Me 911, comes out. I'll post all the information. And reach out, man. Reach out if you can help somebody. And if you need help, don't be afraid to reach out yourself. So appreciate it. Well, you, people, people can actually get on the wait list for the book right now, if they go to rescuing911.org, rescuing911.org, just hit the, I want to be on your wait list and we'll notify you when the book comes out. Very easy. Outstanding. Outstanding. So people get on there. I'm going to put the website up here. Make sure you check it out. All right, Randy, we're going to roll out. How's that? All right. Good talking to you. Oh yeah. So my buddy, Big Daddy Roughneck, is uh, fighting some health problems. Um, But he would say, for all of you, be safe, stay frosty, and always watch your six. I need to tell you to stay safe, stay vigilant, be savage. God bless y'all. God bless Texas. And God bless America. Thank y'all for being here. I'll catch you on episode 102 coming up here soon. Thank you so much. Peace. Peace.